watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul at Whiteside. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Busy as usual, but uh, but yeah, glad to be on the show again, talking all things uh, sport in Salford. We've got an action-packed show again, haven't we? Lots to go through uh, this week. We'll start with the Rugby League World Cup, Paul. What a great tournament it's been. Oh, f- fantastic tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some some hefty score lines, hasn't there? But, you know, that that's to be expected when you've got new teams and, you know, the, the sort of ability of other teams being world-class teams like the likes of Australia and New Zealand. But I think if you look at the, the two games we've just witnessed, over the weekend the two semi-final matches I think what a great advert for the sport you know you had New Zealand and Australia which was probably one of the best games I've ever seen I thought it was absolutely amazing the skill and the tries that were on offer fast forward uh, 24 hours to the Saturday for the England game I mean disappointment for England but again another fantastic advert for the sport a real nail bite it goes right down to the wire then golden point extra time wasn't to be for England but you know as somebody new to the sport watching it you'd be absolutely hooked on the edge of your seat watching both those games so uh, so yeah it's been an incredible tournament so far yeah like you said Australia and New Zealand served up a fantastic game on Friday night in Leeds you know as a sport we need Every every game to be competitive, but Australia and New Zealand are the two teams around the pinnacle teams, in my opinion, in, in rugby league, and to have them to slugging it out on national television, promoting the game, everyone who tunes in will have been hooked on it, like you said, and it, it's fantastic. Obviously, we talked about blowout score lines, you know, previously in the tournament, but this is really where the the magic happens and 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 the competitiveness comes out. Yeah, well, that was like an old-fashioned test match, wasn't it, between Australia and, and New Zealand? You know, two sides going at each other, and the skill level on show, I thought, was the the try that Adol Car scored from the kick. The way it was measured, that it was unbelievable. It was breathtaking stuff. Um, and New Zealand were, were, were fantastic in that game, the way they played the game, the way they took it to Australia as well. So I thought they were unlucky. I think there was a couple of decisions the video ref made and could have gone either way. You know, I, I'm not disagreeing with the decision. I thought it was probably the right decision, but they could have, you could have had an argument and gone the other way. So, yeah, a great game. Heartbreak for New Zealand, but Australia are going to take some beat in the final. They, they seem to be uh, such a good side that it doesn't make many mistakes. They just seem to keep going and going and going for the 80 minutes. And, um, you know, so professional. Mal Meninga's got Australia playing really, really well. You know, some real quality in their side. And, and Samoa are going to have it all to do. But I was very, very impressed with Samoa. You know, to lose by 60 points to England and then come back. It looked a totally different side in the semi-final. They really did look good. And uh, some absolute quality in their team as well. And uh, that should be, be a good final. Australia will be favourites, but I think Samoa are uh, going to be up for it once again. Do you think it's a, a bit of a wake-up call for Australia and Mal Meninga, obviously, getting this close game? They kind of walked through the group stages, beating teams easy, but this was a real test. Yeah, it was a test for them, and, and that's what you're going to get when you, you get an Australia-New Zealand game. You know, New Zealand come into the tournament as, as the number one country in the world, didn't they? So um, they were always going to be, be a good side. But I think Australia you know, did enough. I thought they, they were good enough to, to win the game and probably just edged it. But, uh, you know, the Kangaroos are always good, aren't they? They're always fantastically well coached and, you know, they're real athletes, aren't they? They don't make a lot of mistakes. They grind teams down, as you said. But they've got that quality as well and that class all over the pitch. And they showed that in, in that game on Friday night with the, some of the tries they scored. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do in the final. 
and um, hopefully some more will be entertaining as well. It's going to be on a, a big stage at Old Trafford. It's just a, a real shame England couldn't get there because I think England against Australia would have been a great final. But I think Samoa against Australia would be a great final and Samoa deserve to be there. They, they won that game. I think they were the better side against England and, and deserve to get the result. England beaten in the semi-final against the Samoa. Golden point extra time win uh, for them. Talk, talk us through the game. What... Um, I thought... You know, I thought Samoa were great. I thought England played really well. There were some great tries. I think going towards the end of the game, I thought England stormed back really well to, to get level. And I think when they got the game to 26 points apiece, I didn't think they managed that extra time the way they could have done. I think the, the game management there wasn't there. We tried to be a bit flamboyant, forced the pass when we didn't need to. When you, when you get to extra time, for me, you need a Mark Sneed character. Somebody like that who can boss the game and, and get you down the pitch and drop you the goal. You don't want to be chucking the ball away and offloading it in silly situation because as soon as you can see possession in your own half in golden point extra time, it's curtains. You, you've got to keep hold of the ball. And especially if you get the ball from the kickoff, plough down the other end, drive to the sticks and drop a goal. That's what you've got to do especially in a big game like that. and I don't think we managed it. I think we panicked a bit. Um, and a couple of times we made mistakes there. And obviously the first one was a charge down, the first drop goal attempt from Samoa. And then we handed it to him again on a plate. So the second time they made no mistakes. So for me, we just lacked that little bit of uh, bit of game management going into the extra time. But, you know, in the in the 80-minute the, the game, it was, it was a great game which could have gone either way, really. So, uh, so yeah, some, some poor decisions from England. But don't think they're a million miles off. And, um, you know, they can be proud of what they've done in the World Cup. Yeah, a lot of people talking about Sean Wayne's decisions, uh, leaving out Andy Ackers uh, and Mark Sneed from, from, the, from the, the team. It was an interesting situation there, obviously, Sam Tompkins and um, Jack Wellsby. You know, they, they've got class good players in England, but did you make the right decisions, you think? Well, to be honest, if it had been me, not because I'm a Salford supporter, but I think I would have had Andy Ackers on the bench because I think the, the way the modern game's structured now, I think it's good to have two hookers on the bench just to change things around because the tempo of a game can change at any moment and someone like Andy Ackers coming off the bench, um, he could have speeded that game up and in that sort of closing 20 minutes there. England were on top there and if you think back to the game when they didn't get level, they almost scored again late on. Uh, when they broke through so somebody like Andy Acker's like running at a tired defence there that could have changed the game Mark Sneed I don't know whether you can afford to carry Mark Sneed on the bench as well you would have had to play him in the game I suppose you couldn't have had two uh, two pivots on the, on the bench really so I, d I don't know I'd like to see Mark Sneed play but you had George Williams there Railsby's a good player as well I know he's took a bit of stick on, on the old social media this weekend but he's a young player his young player is doing well in Super League but I think sometimes we get carried away with, with, with players in this country and you know people in Australia they look at us and probably think yeah, your Super League standard's not that good. You know, the NRL is probably a better standard than, than, than Super League. So, you know, sometimes you can be a big fish in the pond that is Super League, but you're not a big fish when it comes to playing the, the NRL players. And I think, you know, St. Helens might find that out when they play Penrith in the World Club Challenge because there's some quality players in the NRL. And we, we've seen that in Samoa, in New Zealand, in Australia, in the in the World Cup. So, uh, so yeah, I was disappointed for England. But, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good result, good for Samoa, good win for them, and you can't argue with it. I think they deserved it on the whole. As for Sean Wayne, you know everybody jumps on a coach's back, don't they? You know at the end of a game, and sometimes it's a bit a bit harsh, really. I mean, he's done a good job in a World Cup to get them to where they were. 
if it was another coach, would he have made the, the, the right decisions, the wrong decisions? You, you don't know. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, Rob, isn't it, in sport? So do you think his job's safe? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anybody else at the moment who, if I was in charge of hiring and firing, if I, I was to sack Sean Wayne tomorrow, I can't really think of anybody who'd be available. I mean, we've heard the Ian Watson name mentioned, but... You know, what's Ian Watson won? He's been to three finals and lost them all. So, you know, would he be the saviour of England? I don't know. You know, Sean Wayne's very experienced. He's won trophies and England were the best thing since sliced bread when he got to the semi-final, didn't he? He was all going about how good they were playing. And, you know, they've just come up with a, some dumb decisions in the semi-final. But you can't afford to do that because it's knockout rugby league. So, um I think you've got to give Sean Wayne a bit more time. I think you're building something there. And if you look at that side, a lot of people say it's one of the best England sides we've had for a long time. You know, when you think about some of the players who emerged from, from this tournament who we didn't know a lot about before and have now become household names, haven't they? So I think, you know, I'd, I'd be giving them another another shot at uh, internationals next year and see how we get on. Yeah, there's other World Cups uh, playing at the same time. The Wheelchair World Cup is taking place. England beat Wales 125 points to 22 and France beat Australia 84 points to 40 which basically gives them uh, the final it's going to be exciting times uh, very excited about the the wheelchair rugby it's fantastic watching it on the teller uh, they don't give an inch uh, and they have some great skill too caught some of that game at the weekend the, the England game and, and there's some fantastic players you know you look at the, the speed of the of the game and, and the way they move the way they, they sort of throw the body to create the gap and, and drop the shoulder and go through it's absolutely tremendous Rob it really is and it's been a great uh, you know it's been great to see this this tournament I think it's really woke people up to, to wheelchair rugby league and, and, and just say how, how good that sport is how fast it is and how entertaining it is I mean you know I know you get big scores in it but obviously the pitch isn't that big and you're playing a long time as well, aren't you? So uh, there's going to be points scored, and uh, and yes, it's it's been a, it's been a great tournament so far. I'm really looking forward to watching the uh, the final this coming Friday. I think it's at Manchester Central, is it? The old uh, GMX. So uh, so yeah, that that should be should be great. It's live on TV as well, so uh, should be a great night on Friday night. And then on Saturday, uh, like you said, Australian Samoa Old Trafford, but also the Women's World Cup final as well. We don't know who is in the final because obviously recording this before the semi final's been played but it will be exciting obviously involving both uh, finals on the same day at Old Trafford yeah it should be great it should be a really good day That, like I said before it's a shame England aren't because uh, England Australia would have been a you know a fitting final really to a real old rivalry there at Old Trafford but uh, but I think Samoa will, will do a good job the the ladies final as well should be good it's, it's a great venue Old Trafford and uh, I really hope it's a, it's a massive crowd I really do I think the World Cup deserves you know to, to get a real sell out crowd because it's been a fantastic tournament we've had to wait a, you know an extra year for it but I think it's really captured the imagination of the country and it's really got you know people um, watching rugby league and, and talking about rugby league in a good light you know pre- people who perhaps aren't you know uh, regulars to rugby league have, have, have took the sport to the hearts in the, in this competition so uh, I hope the final does it justice it's going to be very very exciting let's talk about uh, Salford Devils now they have been busy in transfer market uh, they have bought Ben Helliwell on a one-year deal uh, comes from Featherstone. Uh, great uh, player for us. He's, he's had a he had a slow spell with Salford early in the 2022 season. Showed good signs then. Seems Paul Rowley uh, has seen enough and brought him back. Yeah, he's an experienced player. He's spent a lot of time at Lee as well, hasn't he? So. Um... 
Yeah, it's just what we need to, to strengthen the pack. You know, we've lost a couple of forwards, haven't we? And uh, him coming in with Adam Sidlow and Andrew Dixon just bolsters that pack back up, doesn't it? Because you need plenty of forwards, you know, to get through the season. We, we found that out last year, didn't we? When people sort of pick up injuries and that. So I think Ben's going to be, uh, he's a good character, I think. And I think that's why Paul Rowley's brought him back in. He did well in his time on loan with his last season. So looking forward to see what he can do in 2023. They've also signed Sam Stone from Lee, two-year deal, second row. Um, you know, good player for Lee, scored some good tries. Will add a lot of a uh, pace and uh, score try scoring ability uh, in that. Yeah, I, I like what I see with Samstone. I've seen a bit of him last season, and um, he looks a very, very useful player. I've heard good things about him from the Lee supporters. So, uh, so yeah, I think he's an interesting sign. I'm surprised Lee have let him go. To be honest with you, I think it's a uh, he's a big game for Salford. He's a big lad. He's a you know coming into the peak of his career as well. So he could uh, he could be a real top signing for Salford. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see what he can do it's it's been a shame losing Elijah Taylor this week um, I think that was a disappointment but you know Sam Stone is um, a younger guy maybe a bit fresher as well so uh, we'll see what he can do and other news Elijah Taylor has left Sovereign Devils he will play for Featherstone Rovers uh, next season he was captain at Salford he's a hard working uh, loose forward um, do you think it's a mistake letting him go hand on heart Rob no I would have liked to have seen him stay because I like him, he's a really good bloke. But I think, as a, from a business point of view, I think we've probably had the best out of him. If you look at him last season, there's a lot of times where he could hardly walk when he come off the pitch. So you, you sometimes question how much has he got left in him. We've probably had the best out of him. But I'm disappointed because he's a good leader, fantastic leader, and a fantastic person as well. You know, I've spoken to him a few times, haven't we, on the podcast? Really lovely fella, really knowledgeable about the game. What a worker, the amount of work he gets through. So I don't know. I think if it were me, I'd have kept him. But I can see where the club are coming from. Um, but yeah, disappointed he's left though, because nobody wants to lose good people like that and good players like that. So, uh, so yeah, I'm disappointed, but I can see why he, he's gone. You know, he's a bloke that's uh, give everything, and um, you know, his body's been, been smashed about for Salford over the last couple of years. He's been a real warrior for us. So, I'm disappointed to see him go. Mm. Six out, five in at the moment. Paul Rowley's men. Do you, do you think that's a decent enough? Uh, sort of trade obviously you're looking at you know improving your squad and improving your team uh, during the off season we we are used to mass changes at Salford so sort of six is is a is a decent number yeah well we've already got a good squad you know we we proved that last season we've got a you know fantastic squad of players and some real talent in there haven't we i don't think the squad's massive you know, if you pick up injuries, we found that last season, didn't we? We picked up injuries and it was it was tough to, to balance it. We had to bring players in on loan and things like that. But, you know, it's always going to be difficult managing a squad. We're not a washroom one. We can't have a 40-man squad like some clubs do. And we've not got an academy to dip into either. So, I think it was about managing it and, and, and bringing a bit of quality in, a bit of experience in. We've done that with Adam Sidlow and Andrew Dixon coming in. Uh, Sam Stone, quality player. So, uh, so yeah, we we bolstered it there, but I think that the spine of the side, you know, from sort of your one, number one, your, your half backs, your hooker, we've already got some quality there anyway, haven't we? So, and we've we've kept those guys in the team. So, um, we were talking off air, weren't we, about the three quarter line as well, uh, which is which has been pretty settled. So, um, so I'm happy with the players that are already there, and I'm I'm quite happy with the players that have come in. So, for me, it's been uh, it's been a good off season so far. We did talk about the wheelchair rugby in the World Cup but Salford Devils have announced that they are to well they are to have a 
wheelchair team uh, in 2023. You know, it's great that the club have managed to get this off the ground. Obviously, very excited uh, about the sport and they'll bring a lot to to the club. Uh, There is going to be trials. So if you're obviously in a wheelchair, but let's be fair, Paul, you don't have to be permanently in a wheelchair to play this sport. Um, if you want to take part or have a, or have a, have a go, contact the, uh, the club uh, and uh, they will they will order uh, organise a trial for you. But it's fantastic. I think that, that you know, Salford have managed to get us off the ground. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, you know, I, I, I've been following the results of, of Wheelchair Rugby League when we do the amateur report on the podcast. And, you know, I've seen uh, the, the teams that have been in there for the last couple of seasons and uh, I've, I've sort of thought it'd be great if Salford would get in there. And, and get amongst it and, get, and be part of it as well. So, uh, so that's a massive plus for us to now, you know, be be inclusive in that. I suppose so. Uh, so yeah, that's that's big news. That and yeah, if you can get um, if you can get on there with the trials, I think uh, you know it's exciting times going forward. You know, like last season when we had the ladies team starting, you know, it started with a massive buzz and look how far they got in the first season. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing what uh, what the wheelchair team can do. It's, that's fantastic news. Yeah, let's talk about Swinton Lions now. There fixtures for the 2023 season uh, have been announced to start uh, against Newcastle at home on the 5th of February then they travel to Batley away uh, Barra at home and Whitehaven uh, away what do you think of uh, that start for Swinton Lions yeah I think uh, I think all the games are tough in the championship aren't they it's a tough league but uh, you know it's a decent start for them Matt you know they've not got they've not been drawn against the uh, the massive teams of, of the league have they so, um, so yeah there's, there's a good start Good chance there to to lay our marker down and get a few points early doors. It's going to be a tough season for Swinton, we all know that. Hopefully, they can get a couple of wins early doors. Yeah, they have been busy in the transfer market side. Jaden Hatton uh, for this season. We obviously we were concerned that obviously had a big turnover of players, but seems uh, that Swinton Lions have managed to get a few players in now, ready for the championship season. Yeah, it's like I said before, it's a tough league, isn't it? So you need to you need to strengthen as best you can. I know they lost a few players as well, a few players moving on, a few players retiring and work commitments and things like that. But you know, they've got a decent squad there anyway, and uh, you know there's no getting away from it. They'll probably be the bookies' favourites to, to be struggling, won't they? You know, a newly promoted side. But I'm pretty sure you know, Alan Coleman's done his homework, did a terrific job last season getting them promoted, and you know, let's let's hope we can get. It's all about getting a good start for me, getting a good start and making Haywood Road a, a bit of a fortress and winning your home games and being competitive. And uh, and that's all the Swinton supporters will be asking for. Really. If they can stay up next season and, and consolidate in the championship and then build from there, I think that'll be a, a real positive for the club. Yeah, and Gavin Benyon has also returned for, from a previous spell. Uh, it was fantastic. You know, We didn't really get a chance at Salford Devils, but uh, Swinton is one of their uh, mainstays. Yeah, that's right. Has he joined from Rochdale on it? I know he was at Rochdale, yeah. wasn't he? And um, he was at Swinton before that. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching Gavin in the World Cup for Wales. I think he played really well for Wales. And, you know, he's another guy that, you know, I'd have him back at Salford. I think he was a, had a lot of potential there and we didn't see the best of him there. So I, I'd have been happy if Salford had signed him, to be honest, because he's a good lad. But, uh, yeah, Swinton have got a good a good forward there in Gavin. You know, he's six foot five. Tall lad, he's still only in his uh, 20s, I think, so he's still got an awful lot of rugby league in him. He's a good leader as well, as I said, international player, and he'll be linking up with a couple of other Welsh internationals there, won't he, at Swinton? So that's a big signing for the Lions. And talking about Swinton Lions, they are holding open trials for their ladies' side. Obviously, they have had a ladies' side last season, they, f- they finished uh, top of League One, uh, which which is great for, for them. But they're holding trials on the 30th of November and the 7th of December. 
at the AJ Bell. So if you're obviously a lady who, who wants to get involved uh, with Swinton, it's worth getting down there and playing the game. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is, and uh, you know, it's the good club, club Swinton. And as we saw last season, the uh, their ladies side did uh, did well, didn't they? So uh, yeah, if you can get involved in that and be part of that, I think it's uh, it's another exciting uh, venture in rugby league, isn't it? So uh, so yeah, if you fancy a try, get down there. Yeah, contact uh, Martina Greenwood on Martina uh, dot Greenwood at Swinton Lions UK. So that's all your rugby league chat, and now we're going to talk into boxing. Now, James, and we're going to start with uh, Floyd Mayweather. He was in action uh, on Sunday night. Talk us through the explosive actions of what happened. Yeah, it's mental, isn't it, Rob? Because it felt like 2007, because in one weekend we had Ricky Hatton and Floyd Mayweather both in the ring, and we'll get on to the hitman in a little bit of time. But yeah, firstly, the money man, Floyd Mayweather, fighting. Another exhibition match. I think this is his fifth one. He's fought a few Japanese kickboxers. He fought Logan Paul, and tonight he was in the ring with Deji. And it was what it was. All in all, the promotion was pretty pretty ridiculous. Um, there was audio problems. I think it took an hour and a half to get Floyd into the ring. There was issues, supposedly, with Floyd wanting to get the, the ounce of the glove change from 14 to 10, and also apparently claiming that he wouldn't get into the ring until Jake Paul had left the building. So that was pretty strange. Floyd obviously has a bit of a rivalry with Jake's brother Logan. But either way, Floyd got in the ring, he did his thing, he uh, he picked Deji apart over a period of five rounds, and it was it, it, it was easy pickings for him, to be honest. He did exactly what he wanted. Deji landed a couple of shots, but, but Floyd could have stopped it in the first 30 seconds had he wanted to. Uh, my perspective on this, great for Floyd, great for Deji, they've made a whole heap of money. Floyd's legacy is getting a bit almost skewed now. Granted, still absolutely one of the greatest of all times, and, and it doesn't matter what happens now, he will always maintain that position. However, if he continues to fight these exhibitions, and it was never going to happen tonight, I'll just clarify that, but I think one of them could go wrong. I mean, in his last one with the Japanese kickboxer, he took a shot and it seemingly had a bit of an effect on him. At the age of 45, I'm wondering how many more exhibitions Floyd can do before one of these maybe kickboxers or MMA fighters troubles him? It's a good question, because obviously if he's fighting exhibition matches, um, is it? it's not the real thing, is it? And I suppose with boxing and any kind of contact sport, it's either Tiger stuff. So does playing exhibition fights all the time take that 1% off him? So when he does come across somebody who may still have that um, sort of 1%, in them, uh, will he struggle uh, in that situation? Because there is talk of him having a few other fights, which is which is strange. I think obviously because uh, really it's all about the money now. And how does the how does the boxing public think about that or feel yeah. about it? It's weird. I mean, since these these YouTubers have entered the sport, the landscape of boxing has completely changed because the era of the freak show has well and truly made its return, hasn't it? I mean, Floyd Mayweather should not be in the ring with YouTubers. It, it, it's it's it, it's almost unfathomable what's happening right now in the world of boxing and some fans buy into it others watch it just because it's Floyd and and there are the purists that absolutely despise this and I, and I can understand why Floyd Berber he's lining up exhibitions with with Ricky Hatton and we'll get on to you know what could happen with that in a minute that's apparently already potentially agreed but as I say once once we are we've given a full analysis of Ricky's bout we'll we'll discuss the business perspective but Floyd he is going to continue to fight exhibition bouts and he's 45 years old and the legs aren't always going to be what they were. And even if he continues to win them, I know there's no official scorecards. I don't want people to forget what he was 
I don't want it. I don't want Floyd to be known as someone who just looks okay in these exhibition fights. I don't want to see YouTubers punching him in the face. I don't want to see them landing shots. I want. I want to remember Floyd for what he was when he was. He was thirty. That's the Floyd Bever I think we want to remember. Hmm. But he is putting himself in that in that arena, and I think sometimes with these exhibition fights, do, do you want to see him get? get whacked because obviously if he does get whacked then he will will it start praying his mind thinking you know it doesn't matter how many million dollars i'm going to make from this you know I'm, i don't really want to show myself up a bit like i suppose a bit like when muhammad ali towards the back end of his uh, sort of career where the body was slowing down and but he was getting uh you know caught by you know punches and beaten by fighters he wouldn't do before you know is is that going to happen but more in an exhibition uh, arena sense i mean i don't see floyd getting seriously hurt and at the moment he's taken on people who are levels and levels and levels below him and this fight tonight was an example of that he was never in any real danger i mean i know the other guy had a bit of a size advantage but floyd could have done what he, what he wanted throughout that night he could have stopped it in the first round in the first 30 seconds had he wanted but the level of opposition still shouldn't be punching him at all. And I know that he's letting them almost punch him to an extent, but I just want to... I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we, we look at these exhibitions and we think that they're going to be completely smooth sailing. I mean, we watched Ricky Atten and Marco Antonio Barrera the other night, and again, we'll get into that. But they never looked like hurting each other at any stage. Hmm. Floyd, although he wasn't trying to knock Deji out cold, he was very happy to stop him. The fight was waved off in the six, and Floyd was loading up on those punches. I mean, in his first exhibition, he, he stopped his opponent in the first round. So Floyd is clearly still very willing to hurt people in these shows. Which is, I suppose, the, the kind of thing with, with boxers. Um, it's about keeping that eye of the tiger... Uh, ruthless streak in him because obviously we went to see Rick Hatter didn't we at Manchester Arena this weekend and what what did you make take from that sort of sort of exhibition bout firstly before the actual fight Rob it was nostalgic being in there for Ricky yeah. Hatton, wasn't it? I mean, uh, Ricky was around... I mean, Ricky's prime years, you're looking at 2005, 2006, so a long time ago, years since we've we've really heard that band singing There's Only One Ricky Hatton, the, the crowd on their feet all enjoying it. I mean, there's not been a man in British boxing, particularly boxing history, who captivated the hearts of the British public quite like the hitman. Everybody adored him, and when he went to war, everybody went to war. I mean, 30,000 fans went out to Las Vegas, to an arena that only holds 20,000. He was a magical fighter in that regard. And Rob, for a man who hadn't been to a boxing match before, uh, a professional one, I mean, you've gone to watch Paul Whiteside, Sports Zone's own uh, greatest jab in, in uh, Salford, man. <laughs> but uh, you hadn't seen a live professional show before. So what did you make of the atmosphere of Ricky Hatton, and did it feel nostalgic to you? I suppose the actual Ricky Hatton fight... It was, you know, because obviously the crowd got going, the, the, the band got going and the atmosphere was there. And, you know, as I imagine that kind of being 10 times what it was when it was in his peak. Um, but was it the whole entire night? Was it what I expected? I have to kind of say no, because when you see it on the telly, you know, you, you see all the atmosphere and everyone's jumping around all the time. And when it was, when we were at the... You know, the other fights, which were world title fights, they weren't just sort of no marks fighting each other. Uh, they were proper fights. The atmosphere didn't seem to crack on them. I I'm quite, couldn't quite get my head around why that was. Yeah, we were there for the uh, the Dalton Smith fight. 
defending his British world title and the atmosphere was a little bit flat mm. and it didn't pick up either particularly for Tasha Jonas congratulations to her uh, unifying the division against a tough Canadian opponent she's now got three of the four belts and she's just a step away from becoming an undisputed champion and for the years she's put into boxing it'd be nice for her to get it but then we had this main event and, and Blue Moon started to play and I know you're a Manchester United fan Rob so I think you conscientiously objected to singing along <laughs> but uh it was nice and nostalgic seeing the hitman walk to the ring. And the fight itself unfolded, and Ricky looked in fantastic shape. He looked great on the pads in the build-up. And there was that element of, ooh, 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 is the hitman back? You know what I mean? It, it felt You felt like you were dragged back, teleported almost, to 2008. But we're in 2022, and Ricky Atten's not 27, he's 44. And he looked every bit of that 44 and from my perspective it was nice watching Barrera and Hatton do their stuff there were a couple of moments especially in the first couple of rounds where Hatton unleashed a couple of left hooks to the body those trademark shots and in other rounds Barrera was snapping his jab out and landing on the hitman and from my perspective it was good to see two legends share eight rounds and nobody got hurt I didn't want to see anybody get hurt hello we, did you, when did I cut off, Rob? You said you don't want anyone get hurt. Yeah, yeah, I was leading you in. Ah, right. Okay, give me a second then. Right. <laughs> a minute. Right. Yeah, I understand that, James. Obviously, you know, legends are there, you know, uh, for any sport. But someone who, who's come into this, um, my objection was to, 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 to see Ricky Hatton fight. And I just wanted to see a bit more. I wanted to see uh, like a massive shot on him that that I'd seen on the TV previously, um, but it, it never came. But like you said, he's forty-four and he's not twenty-seven anymore, and he's not primed to to fight the best in the world now. So it might have been a bit more problem at my end, really, that I wanted a bit more than what he was able to deliver. Yeah, I can see from that perspective why you'd feel that way, Rob. I mean, your first time at the boxing event, you want it to catch fire. And this fight between Ricky and Marco never did. And maybe that was because of the styles. And maybe that was because they're slightly older. Maybe because that's because they had a gentleman's agreement to have yeah. an exhibition bout. And they were never going to hurt each other. But there's rumours now that Floyd Mayweather and Ricky Hatton could be going toe-to-toe once more. Floyd has confirmed that his next fight will take place in England next year. He's never fought in England. There's only one opponent that makes sense, and that's the hitman. Ricky said that he'd love to get back in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. And regardless of whether it's an exhibition or not, these two men have bad blood. They will want to hurt each other. And on that night, if Ricky wants to make an impact, he will have to try and unload some of those iconic left hooks. Mm. That's probably more at your street, Rob. But in doing that, he'll leave himself open. Ricky retired almost a decade ago, and he's abused his body. He likes his drink, he likes a takeaway, and granted, he's got back in shape for this Marco Antonio Brera fight, and it's fantastic to see, but Floyd's been active, he's been very active, and it could be a dangerous situation for Ricky to walk into. It would, it would be dangerous for Ricky, but also dangerous for Floyd, because Floyd's, you know, been fighting these exhibition fights against YouTubers, and not fighting against boxers, even though Ricky Hatton is 20 years older than what he would have been. Um, you know, he's still got it. He's still got the in, in his head. He still knows where to move and how to move. So that becomes a problem for Floyd Mayweather because he's he's fighting somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, which means he might get caught with a with a with a with a shot, and then obviously this uh, immortality tag that he's got, uh, you know, suddenly sort of uh, gets uh, gets lifted, and then we're we're looking at and seeing what he's become, which is you know a, a kind of 
of circus entertainment, really. And that's that's a real shame. Um, talking about other fights, Tommy Fury missed his weight um, in his fight. That was a shock. Yeah, it was insane, pretty much, Rob. I mean, Tommy Fury's career has been pretty bizarre, hasn't it? So he's the brother of Tyson Fury. He doesn't have much of an amateur career. He has a couple of fights, and then he goes on Love Island. He got a bit of stick for that, but I didn't see it as the end of the world. It's an eight-week program. He was, I think, 20 years old at the time. He ended up meeting what seemingly appears to be the love of his life. He's now got a child on the way. So I felt like that was an okay move because it significantly rose his stock. It turned him into not a boxing name, but a household name in the country. So people know who Tommy Fury is now. So that wasn't bad. But he's been incredibly inactive. He's not been overly disciplined. He's, he's not been in the gym. He's been flying out to Dubai and the Maldives and locations like this and been overindulging in the food and not particularly taking boxing seriously. He then gets this massive, massive, massive opportunity against Jake Paul. And I felt sorry for him having to pull out of those bouts, one with an injury, the other because he wasn't allowed into the States and obviously you can do your research for why, why that was. But it, it weren't... The first one wasn't his fault. The second one, you can make a case either way. But either way, he didn't necessarily want to pull out of those fights. He was, really wasn't given much of a choice. So this narrative that's been spun that Tommy Fury's a pull-out merchant is a little bit unfair. However, this time, there's no excuse. He was meant to originally fight Tyron Woodley. Uh, he would have been his career-best opponent. He turned that down. He then organises a fight with Paul Bamba who is, has five victories, two defeats. He's an ex-military man, so a very tough man, but not particularly much of a boxing background. Those two defeats coming against fights, he was 0-4 and four and 1-4 and four respectively. So not particularly... Uh, I mean, he's lost to people who've never won a fight. So the fact that Paul Bamba's getting in there with Tommy Fury sort of shows the level of confidence that Tommy Fury's team have in him. But either way, he's scheduled for this fight. They have... Seemingly an agreement of 175 pounds, the light heavyweight limit, which Tommy usually fights at. Paul Bamba weighs in at the correct weight. Let's not forget he's put hard work into making that weight. Tommy weighs in at 181 pounds, so way overweight, not even remotely close. So that's ridiculous in itself. And then it turns out that they have two different contracts for the weight, which is ridiculous. You cannot allow two men to have separate contracts for weight. You agree on one weight. We have weight classes for a reason, which gave Tommy an incredibly fair advantage. And even within that second contract, Tommy still missed weight by a mile. So the fact that he was remotely blaming Paul Bamba is a disgrace. I don't think Bamba did anything wrong. And I'm disappointed for him because he must have spent weeks and time away from his family training for nothing. I'm led to believe that the promoters weren't particularly nice about it. They were complaining to Bamba about being a diva about the weight, which I think is completely unfair. Paul Bamba has every right to kick off about that weight because you're not allowed an unfair advantage in this sport. And then to make matters worse, I'm led to believe that Global Titans, the promoters, cancelled Paul Bamba's flight back to the USA. So not only has he missed out on a career best opportunity, he's missed out on a massive payday, he's been royally messed about, and it's completely unfair. Tommy Fury only has himself to blame for that. He ends up in an exhibition bout with a decent fighter, a 15-1 and African champion, a good opponent, however... An exhibition bout, once again, similarly to these Ricky Hatton fights and these Mayweather fights, it, it pushovers essentially in terms of neither arm was particularly trying to knock the other out, which is okay for the older crowd, the Hattons and the Braves, where you don't want them to hurt each other. But Tommy, needs to, he's 23 years old. He needs to be tested. He needs to be in tough fights. He's not getting them. Jake Paul, actually, at this stage, has better professional experience than Fury does. After the fight, you've got John Fury taking his top off, trying to get at Jake Paul. I think John, as entertaining he is, needs to remember that he's not the fighter. 
Tommy's the fighter, and he has a lot of building to to repair his reputation because it's severely damaged at the moment. Yeah, so that's all the boxing chat, and now football. So let's talk football now. Let's start with Man City. 2-1 defeat uh, at home uh, to Brentford. Uh, not a great result for Pep's men. Yeah, they weren't beat by Tony on two occasions, weren't they? Pretty poor from Manchester City. And, and I'm at the point now where I'm starting to fear for them as the season goes on because as Arsenal have seemingly been ascending up the Football League, they're in first place at the moment, five points clear. And we'll get on to if they can sustain that in a minute. Manchester City have been beginning to struggle and every time we've dropped points, we sort of put it to the back of our minds ignored it and expected them to get better. From my perspective, Rob, it feels like they're missing a piece of the puzzle. It is a worry for them because obviously uh, with Haaland, the pressure is always on him to perform, but you can't expect him to do it week in, week out. Week in, week out form, injuries will take over. But there is a lot of players in the Man City team, isn't there, and who are you know genuine world class. So how much of a distraction is uh, Haaland to that team? Well, he's a massive one right now because the focus is on him. And the fact that he could be the best player on the planet right now. And th- this whole team is, is seemingly designed around him. So if any injuries happen to him, I think the team's in a lot of trouble. And they're all distracted by this one man. And I don't think it's a good a good place for the team to be in, to be quite honest with you. As we saw against Brentford, dropping 2-1. A team they should be beating. And as we often say, the league isn't won in games against Arsenal and Manchester and Chelsea. It's when you're at home against Brentford where you should be picking up those simple three points and they drop them. And that's the worry. That's the worry. Obviously, with Arsenal playing so well as well, it's like, you know, what Arsenal, is it four or five points clear now? So it's a, bit, it's a big gap going into this uh, Christmas break. There most certainly is. Arsenal five points clear after the disaster of last season, them narrowly missing out on a place in the Champions League. Mikel Arteta has reinforced the troops. They're doing incredibly well. They're on fire at the moment. Another 2-0 win over Wolves. Not the easiest place to go to by any stretch of the imagination. And there doesn't seem to be anything stopping them right now. The question is, there's a massive international break now through till the end of December. Will Arsenal be able to carry on that momentum after or is this going to bring it to a halt? It's a massive question. Obviously... We need, with Christmas normally, you've got games coming thick and fast, haven't you? But with this break, it's difficult because obviously you're virtually starting the season again, aren't you, in December. So everyone has, whatever, a month off um, and farm doesn't really come into it. You, I suppose being the World Cup and players being the World Cup might be a factor because they might be a bit tired that they've had to play so many games and not have that break. But it will be interesting to see what happens, obviously, with Man City because they'll need to close the gap. Um, Arsenal are in good form. Arteta seems to have found the uh, the mojo, which is which was been absent in the in the Arsenal ranks in the last uh, few years. But it's it's interesting to see what happens there because obviously, like you say, you know the great Arsenal sides, the George Graham sides, the Arsenal Wenger sides that they've got. You know, winning. Uh, they had winning mentalities, and it's wondering to see if he can uh, recreate with this group. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, Arsenal haven't been a genuine elite level side in uh, over a decade now, have they? Really, they've been, of course, on the circumference of that top four in and around, but they haven't ever pushed for the league. Is there a chance that we're not just seeing the resurgence of Arsenal this year, but we could be going into a golden generation of Arsenal players? It's interesting. Like you said, there was a lot of problems, weren't there, with, with the finances at Arsenal and the, the fans not thinking that they were getting the money's worth. But it seems that all, all that seems to have gone to the background now and they've got some uh, you know, good players coming through at Arsenal. They're scoring sort of, sort of good goals, playing well. Ramsdale in goal, uh, Saka up front. You know what I mean? They've got players who, who are 
the best of the best. So um, if they are able to mould a team who are going to go to that next level, compete the likes of Man City uh, and Liverpool um, and Chelsea and, and Manchester United, they have to continue in this form. We, we uh, Arsenal fans don't want a one-season uh, wonder of winning the league. They need consistency. They need three and four years of success to, to be able to say, yep, yeah, Arsenal are back. One season where possibly win the championship or finish second and then it's back to mediocrity isn't what the Arsenal uh, faithful want or need or the people running Arsenal because obviously they need a, a run of success because the bills will be piling up obviously with the with everything going in, in the economy the money is, is, is going to be tight even for Premier League teams um, but we'll have to wait and see you're hoping like I say Arteta can keep sprinkling that magic dust and Arsenal will continue riding high at the top of the Premier League Mental, you say that in terms of the financial aspects of the game, because at one stage, the Emirates was a golden ground to go to, wasn't it? Mm. They had so much success, and they've, over the years, they've lost that. They've lost that magic touch. And when a big-name player signs to them, for example, Meza Ozil a few years ago, it almost comes as a bit of a surprise. Mm. It is. And it's strange. I mean, where does the money go? I mean, really that the players they've got now um, there's no sort of mega stars who are on mega money as Arsenal fans are you happy that it's just being put in a the money's been spent wisely rather than just dumped on a an X-Factor player who's going to take you to the next level but might not you know win you anything it's interesting to see like you say even the teams who have lots of money um, are more sort of concerned about building a team that functions rather than going buying the best player in the world and hoping that he does the magic for him yeah most certainly and moving on now to Manchester United hmm. 4-2 win over Aston Villa and then a 2-1 win over Fulham Daniel James scoring the goal for Fulham ironically but <laughs> Christian Eriksen scoring and then providing a fantastic assist to Garnacho, who bagged in the 93rd minute to give Manchester United a vital win. It was vital, James, because obviously, you know, Ten Hag, you know, he, uh, you know, wants success and uh, going into that um, World Cup break off the back of a draw would have been, you know, a bit of a blow, but the, the momentum there uh, for, for Manchester United uh, after this great win, especially late ones, we, we love a late, late goal, we're currently fifth in the league. We're, we're three points off Tottenham, but we do have a game in hand, which means basically we would be f- sort of fourth. Um, so it was going to be interesting to see what, what happens now. Obviously, we've got players who will be going to the World Cup and and uh, will Hentag want to sort of rest them when they come back? Do we have a squad big enough to, to rest uh, these players? That's that's another question you have to you have to figure into the to the equation. But I think he'll be quite happy with with the, with the win. Um, and obviously going into the break, uh, we're on the in the right place just in case Tottenham do slip up. Absolutely. And from the start of the season, we knew it was going to be a big task for Eric Ten Hag. And it looked extremely difficult at the start when we dropped I mean, points to Brentford. I think we lost 4-0 and, and we lost to Brighton as well. And it looked like Eric Ten Hag could go the way of all the other managers who've come and gone in the past decade. The Blue Van Gogh's, the Jose Mourinho's. It looked like he was well and truly going to sink the Titanic, so to speak. But luckily, he was able to reinforce the troops. He was able to rebuild some momentum. He was able to insert a feel-good feeling into the squad. He was able to get them playing the football that he likes. The football that he played at Ajax, a team that won three Eredivisie titles under his watch. So I think Manchester United are doing extremely well at the moment. Going into this break, we've got a couple of we've got a month or so off to 
regather our thoughts and go again. If you were told we'd be in this position now, at the start of the season, or more appropriately when Eric Ten Hag walked through the Golden Gates at Old Trafford, would you have taken it? Probably, yeah. But this Man United team aren't the finish article either. And the teams above us in the league, Arsenal, City, Newcastle uh, and Tottenham, you know, I suppose there is sort of people, there is teams in that group where will they drop out? Newcastle have spent a lot of money and we we don't know how they're going to react after the after the after the World Cup. Tottenham, like I said, you know they aren't sort of built for success are they, most of the time. Uh, Liverpool are four points adrift of us, so they're they're coming a lot from a long way back. Chelsea are in eighth as well, so they're you know a lot of points behind. I think it's nine points adrift of Newcastle in 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 third. So they're relying on Newcastle to to drop three you know three winning winning games. So it's going to be interesting to see who can sort of keep up with with the likes of Manchester United and stay in touch with the the, the, the top four because it seems like a gap is starting to appear. But like you said, now there's a, a month to reset. If it was normal Premier League and games were starting to come, would that gap increase because teams would be dropping points and getting tired? But now with this World Cup, we've got this little break uh, which allows everyone to chill and, and reset, refocus the mind. Yeah, I mean, the Premier League teams have a break, Rob, but we don't necessarily as fans because we're going right into one of the biggest, to- well, the biggest tournament in football, mm. England. Coming into this off the back of two successful tournaments, a semi-final in the World Cup, a final in the European Championships. We haven't done so well in recent times. Gareth Southgate's been struggling as of late. However, we're hoping that that was just a bit of a blip in the road and something we can overcome going into this tournament. But now we've got the squad. I'm going to read it out to you and you can just let me know what you think. We've got Pickford, Pope, Ramsdale, Alexander-Arnold, Cody, Dyer, Maguire, Shaw, Stones, Trippier, Walker, White, Bill Gallagher, Henderson, Mount, Phillips, Rice, Foden, Grealish, Kane, Madison, Rashford, Saka, Sterling and Wilson. It's not a bad squad. No, it's not a bad squad squad at all James really and and you kind of like you're hoping like you say Gareth Southgate uh, has has picked the right players is the form's not great we've had a few uh, you know not so great results over the last sort of few months uh, but looking at the sort of the people that come that have come in um Trent Alexander Arnold you know hasn't had a sniff has he you know in the in the last few months playing for England but then suddenly World Cup's long and he's in is in the squad which which does that shock you that James to an extent yeah uh, but I think he's got an opportunity to prove himself here and I think he'll be looking to to show the world why Gareth Southgate made that decision yeah but is that but he's he's People criticise his uh, sort of defensive um, mindset. He's, he's very much an attacking, uh, you know, right, uh, fullback. Uh, but in the in this sort of England structure, does he fit in into Southgate's plans, or do you think he'll just go just in case England want to change the way they play? I mean, I suppose in a World Cup, you've got to figure things out, haven't you? As you go, you've got a lot of games in a very short period of time, and if something's not working, you have to switch it very quickly. And he's a dynamic player and he is the sort of man that if if we are struggling, he could potentially make an impact. So, will he start? P- potentially not. But can he come on and maybe do something if things aren't working? I-, I think so, yeah. And Harry Maguire, 
obviously not playing too many games for Manchester United at the moment. How important he is, is, is he for England? It's difficult, isn't it? I still think at his best, Harry Maguire's a very good player. He's struggled over the last few seasons. Last year in particular, I mean, he got an absolute hammering off the fans and the press, respectively. Can he turn it around now? He'll want to. I mean, this is um, it doesn't really get much bigger than this in terms of sport in general. So he'll be looking to prove why Manchester United spent so much money on him. Because at one point, he was looking like being one of the best defenders in the league. There was a reason why we splashed the cash on him. There's still something there with Harry Maguire. And if everybody else can, can't say that, it doesn't really matter. Because Gareth Southgate can there's a reason he's picked him and he still believes he can do a job for England. And obviously Kyle Walker being out injured uh, for Man City um, in the England squad. Now, we know we know he's a very good player, but going into these tournaments undercooked, it's a bit of a gamble. It most certainly is. Uh, Kyle Walker, not, not as young as he once was and uh, has been rather injury prone as of late, but I'm still hoping that he can make an impact for England as he often does. And another player who falls into that same category is Saka because it was nip and tuck whether he was going to make this World Cup. Mm. Yeah. And it's, like I say, with, with World Cups, I think it's really important that all your players are fit. You can't uh, carry a player uh, in in the vain attempt that in quarterfinal time uh, they'll be fit and ready to play. And, uh, and you, you can't do that. Every player has to have his place and have earned that and have been able to come in at a moment's notice and, and, and play. Uh, sort of looking at the goalies as well, you know, with Pickford, Pope and Ramsdale, three great goalkeepers there, James. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who Gareth Southgate picks as his number one. Yeah, Pope's obviously a good goalkeeper. Jordan Pickford has been in the number one for quite a long time now. But Aaron Ramsdale, slowly but surely, is proving himself to be an exceptionally talented player. And it wouldn't Shot me if he's the number one going forward in future tournaments. I don't know if it'll be at this one, but in the future, I definitely see him being in the mix. I think Pickford always seems to grow an extra arm when he plays for England. Everton can be can be sometimes be great, sometimes a bit wonky. But when he puts that England shirt on, it seems like it turns into a wall sometimes. I mean, Jordan Pickford at his best is an exceptional player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And there's one man you want in between the sticks, somebody you can rely on in the international circuit. It is Jordan Pickford. Yes, talk about your midfield. How excited are you about seeing, seeing Jude Bellingham? Yeah, it's good to see him, obviously, playing his football predominantly outside of England. Manchester United are looking at him, aren't they? Hoping to bring him to the squad in the summer. I know a few years ago, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson gave him a private tour around Old Trafford and for one reason or another, they didn't get the deal through. This will be an opportunity for him to mix with some of those Manchester United players. And if he can make a big impact on the World Cup, then he's transfer tag will go through the roof because teams all, right, all over Europe already want him but if he can prove that he can do it on the big stage the biggest stage of them all then I, I think he will have some very good leverage going into the summer yeah lots of comp competition in the forwards as well uh, surprise was James uh, Madison uh, making the squad another player who hasn't had luck in at international level uh, most assists in the Premier League a uh, massive part of Leicester's team and now he's a uh, finds himself in the England squad. Do you think he will get the game time? Uh, I know Gareth Southgate, uh, I say, hasn't given much chance. I know he, he fell out with Gareth Southgate uh, a few years ago. Um, he didn't pick him for, for one reason or another. So, to see him back in the England fold, does that show a change of heart for Gareth? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, first things first, I think he deserves his place, doesn't he? Mm. I mean, from sources, I was hearing that he wasn't going to make it. Uh, and after the season he'd had, uh, so far, I think he deserves his place in there. So I'm glad he's got it. Will he get the game time? Potentially not. I mean, there's a lot of 
tough competition in those forwards. You've got your you've got your Harry Kane's, you've got your Rashford's who are playing as good as ever right now. You've got Saka coming into the squad. You've got Sterling, so it is going to be difficult for him to get game time. But he's proven that he's a team player. He's proven that he can create chances, and I think for a player who hasn't had the opportunities under Gareth Southgate, he'll be wanting to prove what he can do when he gets those opportunities. So I see Madison making a bit of an impact, Rob. Yeah, and obviously talk about the centre, other centre forwards, Callum Wilson from Newcastle. He's had a few injuries in the past, but seems to have found his shooting boots at Newcastle. Uh, he's earned his place in this squad. Yeah, he's a guaranteed goal scorer, isn't he? If you stick him on the pitch, he will find the back of the net. Will he be able to at the elite level? I mean, in the group stage, we're playing the likes of Iran, and he should be able to find goals against them. But as we go through the tournament, when we're playing the Argentinas, the Brazils, the Germanys, the Netherlands, etc., teams of that ilk, can he do it at that level? And that's the thing. Obviously, with Harry Kane, you know, he's going to be England's uh, top sort of striker. But I think at these competitions, it's always handy to have somebody who can come in and, and score. I remember uh, Daniel Sturridge scoring against Wales uh, in a major competition uh, when he would come off the bench. And, and that is what Gareth Southgate needs. He needs players to come on and make an impact. Yeah, Harry Kane, you mentioned there, he might be more determined to win this competition than any other player on the planet right now based solely off the fact that he hasn't done it at club level. Mm. He's undeniably one of the greatest players of our generation. However, due to the team he's in, he's not picked up a Premier League. He's not picked up a Champions League. He's not picked up the these silverware that his talent deserves. So winning a World Cup would put that right in my book. But it's, it's one of them, will, will he be able to raise his game? Because obviously playing for Tottenham Hotspur and obviously Tottenham are in the top four at the moment. But different gravy in international football. I suppose he, he showed quite well up at the at the Euros, uh, you know, winning the golden boot there. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in this World Cup. Uh, obviously chasing down the uh, Gavilinica, uh, Bobby Charlton record as well, uh, Wayne Rooney record as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how many times that you can find the net in this in this World Cup. I have to see him doing quite well, especially in the group stage. I mean, you've got an opportunity to score four or five there. If we're at our best, then all the Americans uh, don't particularly like us from an international perspective. It's a bit of a grudge match, but again, you should be scoring some goals past them. So he'll have his opportunities. But a team that really needs to start taking theirs, Rob, is Salford. Because mm. they had two games this week against Rochdale and Wimbledon, who were 20th and 15th in the league, respectively. That's an opportunity to take six points. In total, Salford came away with one, mm. and it's not good enough. No, we, we talk about stringing wins together, and it's so hard getting out of that division. You've got to make sure you're on it every week. You're playing Tuesday, Saturday, most weeks, and obviously defeat uh, against Rochdale, uh, a draw against Wimbledon. You know, it, it will upset and frustrate both fans and club officials at Salford because because they. Want success? They've invested in this club, haven't they? A lot of a lot of money. They're on a journey, and they need to start picking up wins against these kind of teams. Because obviously, defeats uh, means you're stuck in this uh, sort of second division. And how long will people be happy with that? Uh, because I don't think it'll be very long, James. No, it won't be. I mean, this team, Salford, have excelled so quickly that the fans have got almost an unrealistic expectation of how far they can go. They're expecting improvement constantly, and with those expectations comes pressure. And the Salford players, and indeed the manager, have to meet that pressure, so they need to pick up these victories. This week, they've got a game against Peterborough, an FA Cup replay. You'd like to think they'll win that. And then they've got Carlisle, who are eighth in the league 
And in terms of cutting into those playoffs, you need to beat teams, Carlisle, because they're the, they're the clubs that are going to be competing with you for those positions at the end of the season. Yeah, you're totally 100% right, James. It's, it's a, it becomes a massive game, mass, a massive week, really, for the club. Obviously, the FA Cup it will be a big money spinner. Uh, Salford have good history in the FA Cup. So, to beat Peterborough, you know, will continue on that the FA Cup journey. And Carlisle, like we said, with the drop points from the sort of last week, they'll, they need to, to start picking them up. They keep picking up points and keep that moment, build some momentum, but, you know, keep it going through the difficult sort of Christmas period and out the other end and then see where they are come playoff time. Yeah, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how it all pans out. And before we finish off the football, Rob, it is time because this show we got it on Tuesday. On Monday, England play Iran. It's a big one. It's the start of the World Cup. It's a game we're expecting to win. How are you feeling going into it? It's going to be interesting, really, Jade, because obviously we, we need uh, you know to start winning and winning is real build momentum. Obviously, they'll have a week, won't they, to, to sort of get prepared for it. And, and you're kind of hoping that we can, we can sort of get it together. But yeah, Iran will be a tough contest. You find when you're playing teams like uh, Iran, uh, the top teams win 1-0, and that's what I'm expecting from England. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Hopefully, a big win to get us on the right track. Last question for you, Rob, before I let you go in terms of the football. I want a name. I want one name. Who wins the World Cup? Who wins the World Cup? I think Argentina will win the World Cup, and Messi will win the Golden Boot. It's a big prediction, Rob. Well, you something missing from uh, Lionel Messi's trophy cabinet. The only thing seemingly missing from it, so it'll be an opportunity for him to get it. I'm going to go for Argentina's biggest rivals. I'm going to say Brazil. And who's the golden boot? Golden boot goes to. It's a tough one, Rob. I really don't know. I'm going to say. I think England might make a bit of a run. Mm. I'm going to say Harry Kane gets the golden boot. Harry Kane. We're hoping so, and a whole nation will be rejoicing and hopefully celebrating a World Cup win as well. So, uh, big thanks for tuning to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Mm-hmm.